God is so good. My name is Pastor Chris. I'm glad you're here today and want to wish you again a very happy and a special Mother's Day. And uh, what we like to do on uh, days like today is we like to surprise a few moms that are in our midst. And uh, so I have a couple gifts for you. Um, one of them is a book. It's called uh, Kind is the New Classy by Candace Cameron Bure. So Candace Cameron was uh, on Full House and in Fuller House, the show. Um, her brother is Kirk Cameron. Uh, she's a, a believer. She loves the Lord. And she just wrote this book all about kindness, which is actually what we're going to be talking about uh, today from God's Word. And so we have a couple copies of this, and we have uh, another special surprise for some moms. So we're going to give out to two moms today. First one is the newest mom among us. And so this doesn't mean that this is necessarily your first child, but the mom that most recently gave birth to a child, okay? Um, or mom that most recently adopted a child. You became a mom most recently. So is there anyone here in our midst today, uh, and stand to your feet if you are, that you had a child in the last 12 months. If that's you, just stand to your feet. Congratulations. I saw you today. Wow. Okay. We got three moms, four. Oh, no, no. There's, there's a lot of moms. Okay. We're going to be in trouble here. Okay. So in the last year, in the last six months, stay standing if that's you. In the last six months? How recently? When? November. Anyone? November? Later than November? All right, you win. Congratulations. So you get this book, and if one of the ushers can help, you also get a, um, a gift certificate to a spa, so you can go and do something nice, okay? Up the street in Scotch Plains. Oh, there you are, Alicia. If you just make sure you grab that. All right, the second one is for the woman in the room today who has the most children and grandchildren in their lives. Uh, so it's, it's for, it could be for a grandma, uh, you either have the most, you, whenever you combine the number of children and grandchildren, it would be the most of anyone here. So, the, oh, and great, let's go great-grandchildren too. Come on. Come on, let's do it. Um, so uh, in our first service, we, uh, the number was 172. No, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It was, it, it was <laughs> 19 was the number in first service, which is amazing. So let's start at 15. Is there anyone with 15 when you add up your children, your grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren, you have the number 15 or more? Someone over where? All right. Oh, there you are. Oh, and up here? And where else? Okay. Oh, geez. Okay. I, I'm just not, my orientation isn't great here. So how many? 18. Wow. Praise God. Eight, how many? 16. All right. 19? 19. All right. Close, close, but you get it. So both in the balcony. Um, you guys win. Happy Mother's Day to everyone, but we have these special prizes for you moms. And um, tell your kids to have more grandkids. Maybe you'll win next year, okay? Um, now, happy Mother's Day to everyone. We hope that you're blessed by those, those few tokens of our appreciation um, today. Well, as we get into the message today, we're in a series called Rooted, where we're learning to operate in the um, fruit of the Holy Spirit, that we would begin to see our lives shaped to look more and more like Jesus. And so each week we're walking through these different attributes of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And we see that there is this fruit that God promises that shows up in our life, and it's distinct from, and it's different than what you'll find in this world. So in God, we find a love that's nothing that, that's greater than any other love we could ever see. In God, where there's a joy that goes far beyond and deeper than anything we could experience in this life, we see a 
peace that surpasses our understanding. These are all parts of the fruit of the Spirit. And as we come to this one today, it's so appropriate that we would talk about the fruit of kindness on Mother's Day. And uh, you're going to learn why. As we think about today, this special day, um, I thought that there'd be no one better to help take this journey with me and to help me share the Word of God with you today uh, than someone who I'm so thankful for in my life because I've been able to witness uh, her give birth to our two children. And uh, she has a call of God in her life as a, as a pastor and a minister. And it's my wife, Mandy. And so I'm going to invite her to come. And she's going to come and she's going to help us. Uh, hear God's word today, and we're going to kind of preach the message together, if that's all right, church. So would you just um, would you just pray with us right now? We're going to ask God just to meet us and to speak through us today in a special way. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this word. I'm so thankful for this woman that stands with me. Lord, I pray your blessing on Mandy. I thank you for the incredible mother that she is to Lily and Josiah and the incredible wife she is. Lord, I know that she in so many ways embodies so much of what we're talking about today. But Lord, I pray today, Lord, that you'd put the word of God in her heart like fire and you'd allow her to speak the word of truth. Uh, Lord God, just be with us. Help this word to flow. And more than anything, we pray that it would be clear and that, Lord God, your people would leave with a life-changing encounter with you. But we come to your word with fear and trembling, Lord, and we ask you to speak to us, to challenge us, and to change us in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Happy to be with all of you today. When we think about the word kindness, many different definitions come to mind. Being nice, being compassionate, being considerate of others, maybe being polite. And as children, one of the first things that we teach our kids, and I'm so happy to have my daughter here today. Hi, Lily. Hi. <laughs> and my mom as well. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. As children, one of the first things that we are taught from our parents, and something that I teach to my own children, is to be nice. And so you go to school, and you go to preschool, and you go to kindergarten, and you're taught the importance of being kind. And you're taught the importance of sharing, and sharing is caring, and all these things. And then you start to come to realize that not everyone in this world is always nice. Not everyone in this world is always kind to you. And so there's people that are unkind to you, and you're realizing, hmm, the, kid, the kindness that I'm giving out is not always being reciprocated. And there are siblings that won't share with us. There are classmates that tease us. The list goes on and on. So we begin to teach our children what? We call it the golden rule. And so you might know this already if you want to say it with me. Do onto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's actually found in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Unfortunately, our society has taken the golden rule, it's almost twisted and distorted it, um, to mean something a little bit differently. A lot of people in this world might say, do unto others as they have done unto you. So it's not about what you should be doing. It's about, well, if they're going to treat me this way, then I'm going to treat them this way too. We tend to kind of think of kindness as a currency. So you think of, you know, an exchange, like I'm nice to you, you're nice to me, you're not nice, okay, then I won't be nice to you. We go back and forth. But the kindness that we're talking about today is not about repaying one good deed for another or the lack thereof. That's the kindness of this world. Today we are talking about the kindness of God. And we're talking about the kindness that is of the fruit of the Spirit. And it is rooted and grounded in the character of God himself. And so we see that within who God is. See, when we look at God's kindness, we don't see the world's definition. 
do to others as they have done to you. And we don't even see the golden rule, do unto others as you would want them to do to you. But instead, we see a radically different picture. See, God in his kindness, he does for us what we could never do in return. And in fact, if you read the verses surrounding the golden rule in Luke 6, you see this is the exact picture that Jesus is painting for us. Jesus says that we are to do for others what we could never expect them to be able to do for us in return. So it's that idea of not expecting anything back. So Luke chapter 6, verse 32 says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But verse 35 says, love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So when we think of this definition of kindness, I mean, how appropriate would it be for us to talk about this on Mother's Day? And so whether you are a mom or you're like a mom to someone in your life, no one knows better than them what it's like to actually care for someone who is totally dependent on you. I mean, if you think about it, when your children are born, you are their literal lifeline. You're feeding them holding them, soothing them, and you do this day in and day out. Moms are wired for kindness. It's part of, like, in our DNA. And we do this knowing that our little children will never be able to repay us or even in those, you know, first few years really thank us for what we're doing for them. So it's not like I expect my two-year-old to be sending me an edible arrangement every time I change his diaper, right? (laughs) But... And that's why we even have this day, right? It was a day that we invented to try to kind of think of a way to show mom, you know, how much we love them. And, of course, you know, to almost repay um, mothers for that kindness. But let me just say this, and I'm sure there's the same sentiment in the room. For those of you who have been on the receiving end or on the giving end, I don't know that there's enough cards, chocolates, candy, jewelry in the world that we could ever do to repay the kindness of our mothers, So, in fact, did you know that God even chooses to illustrate his kindness towards us by using mothers as an example? And so there's a couple verses in the Bible where God is actually painting uh, his own character using the likeness of a mother. So I want to share that with you. Um, When speaking about one of the original tribes of Israel in Hosea, chapter 11, verses 3 to 4. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. And I who took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. And I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I just picture even my own son. I lift him to my cheek there. I bent down to them and fed them. Isaiah 49, 15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. So our mandate here is to do unto others what God has done unto you. Think about that for a minute. What has God done for us? But what does that even look like in a world that can be so unkind? I mean, literally just driving on your way to church. 
you know, you can experience some of that uh, road rage with people in New Jersey, right? We have issues of bullying, racism, prejudice, um, even on social media. Um, there's so much brokenness in our world today that's only enhanced by technology, right? I mean, in the last 20 years, I think we've invented how many new ways for people to insult each other, whether it's snubbing a text message or cyberbullying. I mean, the list goes on and on. But if we're not careful, these issues can become closer than what we think. And they can even permeate into the church and into the lives of other believers. And so, in fact, this is a problem that not only do we see today, but can be traced throughout the pages of Scripture. And so we're going to be looking at a passage today in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, your smartphone, or your, uh, you know, whatever you have that you're going to read the Bible on today, you can take that out. You're going to have the um, slides on the screen as well. Ephesians chapter 4. And it's in this chapter that Paul sets out a challenge to the church that we need to hear today. And so we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And this is uh, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And actually, as he's writing this, this is called the prison epistle. So he's actually writing as a prisoner. And he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so Paul is leading them. He's, he's calling them to live a life that is of a higher standard. And he goes on to describe this calling in verse 32. He says, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So you and I, we have been called to kindness. Amen. So as we think about that, we think about this idea of it being a part of our calling that shapes us, and Paul's getting at that. And as we think back to last week's message, kindness is also one of the attributes that we are called to clothe ourselves with. Uh, we see that there in Colossians chapter 3, and when we talked about patience, said clothe yourself with patience. But before he said patience, he also said kindness and humility. These are attributes that are a part of who Jesus has called and created us to be. So we are called to this form of kindness. You and I, we carry that as a part of our calling, as a part of who we are meant to be because we belong to Jesus. It's interesting here in Ephesians 4, as we dig into this text, that Paul picks up on the same exact language that he was using in Colossians, and we talked about last week, about clothing ourselves, about taking off the old and putting on the new. Look what he says in verses 22 through 24. He says, You were taught with regard, with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So he said, you've got to live this life worthy of your calling, and to do that, don't entertain these unworthy things. Don't entertain these lesser things. Put off the old self. Put off those things that are going to hurt you, that are going to decay in you, that are going to cause uh, corruption to happen inside of you. You know, when I think about this language that he's using, it actually reminds me of our yard. And uh, Mandy and I can remember back to the good old days 10 years ago when we moved into our house, and our backyard was pristine. Do you remember how green the grass was? Do you remember how nice it was? I would fertilize it, and I would just take care of it, and we would just make the yard look so perfect, and we'd spend as much time as we could. And then we had some little ones. Hi, Lily. Now our backyard looks very different because of the presence of this little one and our son, Josiah. Now there are toys. Now the yard isn't 
cut is pristine. Now, where has all the time gone? Because we're parents and we have a lot of other things to do. But something happened two years ago that started to drive me insane. Uh, it was right around that time that my, my daughter started to get her playhouses and her toys and her bikes and buckets and all these things. And she'd be out in the yard playing. And then I'd go out and we'd have everything set up. And then I'd go out three or four days later and I'd go to move something. And I realized all the grass underneath that thing is now dead. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And all the fathers in the house said, amen. And I'm like, no, this is not good. And I looked under the house, and, and it's green all around it, but the lines, it's killing the grass underneath it. And so I, I, kind, of, I, I kind of got in this weird way of thinking that I'll, I'll just leave things sit for a couple days in different spots, and then I'll rotate them around the yard so that nothing would die. How many of you know what I was doing? I was killing my entire yard doing this. So I'd have the kitty pull over here. The grass start to die. I'd pull it over here, and that spot would never get repaired. And so for a whole season, I had all these spots all over my yard because I didn't realize this one thing that whatever was being placed on top of it, if it wasn't meant to be there, it would kill whatever's underneath it. That gets us to thinking about God's word today. He says, put off the old self. It's corrupting you. We don't realize that what we carry on us, what's on us might be killing what God's trying to do in us. And we have to put off those things we have to put them aside. We have to get rid of them in the same way that whatever's laid on top of that grass and it can't receive what it needs to receive, then what's under it begins to be corrupted and begins to die within it. I want you to know today when it comes to this kindness, there might be some things that you're carrying in your life today and you have no idea until this very moment that we look at God's word that it's killing the kindness of God within you. And so we have to ask this question, what's killing our kindness today? Is there something in us, on us, happening in our lives that we're entertaining that might be killing the kindness of God that's meant to flow through our lives? That's what we're going to take some time to look at this morning. Before we do that, I want to just base us in a passage of Scripture here. Uh, it's, it's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through 32. This is the portion of teaching, because as Paul begins to direct his attention towards this church in Ephesus, a church that has a lot that he can praise them about, he needs to start correcting them on a few things, because the kindness of God that flowed to them is not flowing through them. And so Paul begins to uncover some things from the Word of God that we've pulled out as four principles that might be killing your kindness. Um, but before that, I want us just to understand the context. So read here what it says in Ephesians 4.25. He said, therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you, to his neighbor, because we are all members of one another. This is a powerful verse in a powerful statement when he says we are members of one another. You should write this word in your notes, one another, one another. Write this statement there, this term that's used in Scripture. Put a question mark because I would tell you that if you would take time to really understand what this means, it might change your whole Christian walk. Pastor Marsha was so correct when she said, the church isn't a building. How many of you know the church isn't a building? The church is a people called and set apart by God. I want you to know... If you'd ask the question, have we done church, some of you will leave today. And because we sang the songs and you heard a message and you've, you've gone and you've even taken some pictures outside in the foyer, you say, man, we did church today. I want you to know it's very possible for you to come and do all those things and you yet haven't fully done church the way God intended you to do church. Do you want to learn what it means to do church? It means that we are in a place, in a community, where we are practicing the one another's of Scripture with one another. So that changes everything because here's what I realized. 
that this is just 31 of the one another's. There are as many as 59 of them you'll see in the Bible. But what I find is that it is impossible to practice many of these one another's in a row. You can only practice them in circles. You can only practice them whenever we get outside of environments like this. Because I would tell you, for you to practice some of these things, you would actually be a distraction to what God wants to do in the midst of this service. The church isn't just a service. The church is a community of believers that meet together. That's why we always are encouraging you to be a part of small groups, smaller, more intimate gatherings, to get outside of just our Sunday morning experience. Because it's in those environments we know that you can practice the one another's of Scripture. Men, when you gather together on a Monday night, and some of you, when you open your homes you're seeing it's where all these things are coming together where you're praying for one another where you're um, lifting up one another where you're loving one another where you're caring for each other doing good for one another you're edifying building up one another all these things are happening in the context of community in the context of your circle you see the church is meant to be a circle it's meant to be your circle. It's meant to be your place where you connect, where you grow, where you do life together. Some of you have circles outside of here. You're so close with your friends from work and whatever, and you find fellowship and community there, and there could be some benefit to those things, but I want you to know the place where you can grow and become everything God wants you to be is when you develop a circle that's filled with the believers in Christ. It's part of the church. When you gather together and you begin to practice the one another's of Scripture, it changes everything. Amen? So this is my plug for small groups. Get into a small group. This is my encouragement for you to begin to attend our midweek prayer service as it launches uh, on the 23rd as we come together. We're going to pray for one another in that environment and believe God to move heaven. Amen? We're going to see God doing things as we get into these other environments and practice the one another's of Scripture. So Paul tells us that this is what we're called to. We're called to love one another, to be kind to one another to allow the kindness of God to flow to us. But if we're not careful, there might be things that are killing our kindness. And Mandy's going to come and she's going to share the first thing, as you're taking notes, that might be killing the kindness of God within you today. So one of the first things that we see in this passage that can kill our kindness, number one, is your anger. We look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 through 27. It says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. I love how the NIV says, do not give the devil a foothold. And it's interesting here in the text that Paul's not telling us that we can't be angry. I mean, that's just a normal part of the human condition. It's okay to be angry or to be upset, get frustrated. That's, you know, some very normal. But it's what we do with that anger. That's the part that Paul is actually getting at. And so I love, um, Lily and Josiah, they love watching VeggieTales. And one of the episodes that they like to watch, um, a lot of times she'll sing, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Yeah, she, she knows that. But the episode is a, literally about, you know, the two characters being angry with one another. And they literally, you know, they know that the Bible says, you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So instead of resolving it, they literally stay up all night long fighting, thinking that the other person is going to, be apologizing and giving in. So it's a, it's a funny way to look at it, but a very silly concept. But the heart behind what Paul is saying here is this. Resolve your anger quickly and don't let it build up inside of you. Because the more that we let it fester, the more that we let it build up, the more that it can begin to cause damage in our life. 
Now, as a mom of a parent today, um, or you know, may, maybe you have uh, one children or, or multiple children, um, you tend to see a pattern that the more children you have, the more that there's going to be these squabbles. You're going to see these sibling rivalry. And I'm, I'm an only child, so I'm just learning this, seeing my children sometimes going back and forth with each other. And it usually involves one child you know, taking someone's toy and then the other person being upset and having their feelings hurt. And so as a parent, you have to kind of you know, learn to, to navigate through some of that stuff. Um, this makes me think of another famous sibling duo in the Bible. We think in the book of Genesis, Cain and Abel. And chapter 4 tells us that the story of two brothers that bring their offerings before the Lord. Now, unfortunately, Abel's offering is favored, but Cain's is not. And that's actually a whole other story that we don't have time to get into today. But I want to bring you to Genesis chapter 4. It says in verse 6, this is what the Lord says to Cain, one of the brothers. He says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it or you must rule over it. And what we learn later on is that Cain actually lost that battle in his soul, and he ended up giving in to that anger, and he killed his brother. So we see that when we have this unresolved anger in our life, if we let that build up, if we let that um, become a doorway to sin, and we know that the devil, he's an opportunist, right? So, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's not just him going and doing these things. A lot of times, you know, we have sin in our lives and, and we're part to blame. And he just kind of seizes on those opportunities and he kind of makes, he makes it worse. But he has come to steal, he has come to kill, and he has come to destroy. And so that anger that is within us, if we don't destroy the anger in our own lives, then the devil is going to use it to destroy us ultimately. And so the other day, Chris and I, this is a fun, another funny story that we had. Um, we were doing laundry. And a lot of times, you know, you know, you're busy, so you put a load in. Maybe you're upstairs doing something else. And I think we had gone out. Um, and then we remembered, oh, we got to switch the laundry over. So we go downstairs, and we go into the laundry room, and we step. And I think I had flip-flops on. And I step, and there's water all in the laundry room. And I'm like, okay, what happened? So Chris is, you know, frantically trying to figure out, okay, did something break? You know, was there a loose pipe or, you know, something to the washer, you know, stop working? And he's looking in the wash basin next to the, uh, the washer, and he finds, he sticks his hand in, and he pulls something out, something very tiny. <laughs> My daughter's sock. I said, what happened? And so apparently it had been dry. I guess we washed it or it maybe probably didn't make its way into the dryer. And so one of us probably just laid it over the, the sink and we didn't realize that it had actually fallen into the sink and into the drain area. And so when we did the wash again, um, it had made this huge clog in the sink, causing it to overflow when the washer, you know, un, you know drained itself into the sink. But it's just funny because who would ever think that something so tiny and so small and, you know, inconspicuous could cause such a very, very huge mess. And so we have to, you know, kind of think of it this way, that sometimes we allow that anger, we let that, um, that little, that little uh, thing, you know, maybe it's just an offense or maybe it's just, oh, you know, a little thing I'm, I'm going to be upset about. If we cause that to fester, to grow, and we give life to that thing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow into something much, much deeper and bigger that you had never even thought about. And literally, when we talk about giving the devil a foothold, I mean, really, this is actually a foothold. 
If we're not careful, we can let that creep into our lives and cause so much damage to the people and to the world around us. Yeah, whenever, whenever you can see these things, they can become illustrations in your life. You're not as mad. I'm not as angry about what happened in the basement now. Because, I mean, literally, it's a foothold, right? We gave, we gave a foothold, and look at the destruction that came as a result of it. It's funny, but it's true, isn't it? Yeah, we are okay now. But isn't it true, though, that when we allow these little things to cause so, such damage in our lives, and you get down to the root of it, and it was something like this, and yet what's spilled over in your life has caused so much. That's one of the things. It's our own anger and how that manifests that could be killing the kindness within us. The second thing that we come to is found here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, where Paul says something very interesting. He shifts the thoughts from anger to stealing. And he says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, work, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. What we see is this contrast here that Paul's getting at. He says the person that used to steal, you can't steal any longer. Why? Because you put off the old self. Whenever you think about the attributes of God, stealing is not one of them. That's part of the mission of the enemy, right? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So don't steal any longer. That's not who you are. But instead of stealing, you need to be someone who's generous, who's giving. Giving and stealing are the antithesis of one another. They are the opposites of each other, and they're a part of a life that's changed. When you think about giving, that's a very part of who God is. Out of God's love, he gives. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his son for us to be saved, for us to be free. Our God is such a generous God. He's a God who gives, and he gives to those who, in our own strength, we don't deserve what he has given us. We don't merit the favor, the incredible favor and grace of God, the unmerited blessing. It's something we could not have earned. It's something we could not have done enough good to um, get for ourselves, but God gave. And he says, in the same way, don't steal any longer, but now I want you to work. I want you to have something so that if you see someone in need, you're ready to respond bond, and give. When we think about this, we actually get down to the very ministry of Jesus, and there's a great example of a story that Jesus told to illustrate a point of how kindness is meant to be shown to others. And we answer the question here when we get down to the center of what this thing is that might be killing your kindness, um, because what it is is selfishness. The first one is anger. The second one is selfishness. The person who steals is selfish. The person who steals is just serving themselves. But he said, instead, I want you to show kindness by giving, not by taking, by giving. So your selfishness, my selfishness might be the thing that's killing the kindness of God within me. And to, to illustrate this point of who we're meant to show the kindness of God to, I, I love the story of the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells this story when he's put on the spot and tested by a lawyer or an expert in the law. And he says, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I do what God would desire for me to do? And he said, well, you read the law. What does the law say? This is Jesus speaking to him. And, he, and the, the teacher of the law says, well, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, you're correct. If you do this, you'll live. And he then asks this question, wanting to justify himself. He says, well, then, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, instead of just answering him, he tells a story. And I want you just to grab for a moment the, the essence of what's coming across here because it's a powerful story. Jesus says a man is heading down from um, 
Jerusalem to Jericho. And he's on this road. We've ridden that road when we've gone to Israel before. And it's quite a stretch, and it goes through the wilderness. And there's a lot of peaks and valleys and crevices and, and, and places where people can hide. This would be a place where you're very vulnerable when you're on that journey. And this Jewish man that's heading from one place to another, in the midst of his journey, he is uh, beaten, he's robbed, and he's left half for dead lying on the side of the road. Jesus then says that a priest comes by. This is why Jesus was so radical. He's like, he's changing everything. Because as you tell this story, the priest who comes by would be the first person on the scene. He would help. The priest is a person that's meant to help you when you're in a time of need, meant to represent God to the people. And he says, the priest comes, and the priest walks all the way on the other side of the road, and he passes by. The person who everyone that's listening to Jesus would have expected to stop and help, to do something to get someone, goes out of his way to not get close to this guy. There's a reason, because if the man was actually dead and that priest came in contact with him, the priest would be unclean himself. He'd have to go and baptize himself and bathe and do all this ceremonial cleansing to make himself clean and ready. Maybe he had better things to do than to worry about that. It says, then a Levite comes, and you're thinking as you're hearing the story, then of course the Levite, he's going to come up and he'll do what the priest was unable to do for whatever reason, and the Levite passes on the other side. Another person that's meant to represent God and help the people isn't there to help. So at this point, you're waiting to see who is the hero going to be. And Jesus then says, and a Samaritan. And in that moment, you know, you don't gasp because you don't get the context of what happened in that day. But when Jesus would say a Samaritan, everyone there would have kind of lost their breath. They would have been like, he didn't just say Samaritan. Because the Jewish people and the Samaritans, they despised one another. They didn't want to be in the same city. They didn't want to be in the same neighborhood. They didn't want us to be in the same places. They didn't even want to be in the same sentence or story. And so for, for this, Jesus is saying something radical. He says, then a Samaritan man came. This would have been someone who would have been an outsider, who would have wanted nothing to do with a Jewish person and vice versa. And this Samaritan man came, and when he saw the man, he took pity on him. He went, he bandaged up his wounds, he mended to everything that was there. He picked him up, put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn, tended to him, cared for him for the night. In the morning he woke up, he gave two denarii. This is a significant amount of money for someone to give of themselves. And he gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of everything this man needs. And if there's anything else, I'm going to go work some more and I'll come back and I will settle and pay you for whatever it costs. Jesus said, who was the neighbor to the man who fell and was robbed? And he said, the man who showed mercy on him. Jesus said, you're correct. Now you go and do the same. What was Jesus saying? He's redefining the circles. We have a circle. We say, these are the people that God has called us to. And you know what? For those in my circle, for those in my church, or for those in my family, or for those in my work, for those that I'm friends with and I'm close with, yes, I'll care for them. I'll be kind to them. But for those outside of that, I don't feel I have any obligation to them. If you're a follower of Jesus, you do. If you're a follower of Jesus, the call is go and do the same, to love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Not just the person sitting next to me, not just the person who I like, not the person I agree with. It's the person whose need I see that I could do something about because I'm ready to show God's kindness. So Jesus takes this idea of the circle, and he says, you have your circle, but now there's an outer circle. And it's those that you can see, those that God will put in your path. You have no idea how God might want to use you in someone else's life that you don't even know to be 
his kindness in action. I think about this. I didn't share it in first service, but I'm just going to repeat a story very briefly for you because it's so important. A few of us on staff went to a prayer meeting at Times Square Church, uh, at Brooklyn Tabernacle. We've been to a few of them uh, just in preparation for our own prayer meeting that's going to begin in a few weeks. And we took the whole staff. We were riding in a vehicle. We were going across the Verrazano Bridge. And this was on the 17th of April. You can look up news reports about this. And as we're riding on the Verrazano Bridge, we are talking to one another in our circle. We're talking to each other in the van. We're, we're just going back and forth. And in the midst of that, someone notices out of the corner of their eye, there's a man standing in the middle of this bridge. And they say, what's going on with that guy? What's happening? And for many, I'm telling you, for many, it might have just been a passing thought. I, I don't know. Maybe he's taking a picture or something. Uh, and we just keep going. But they became fixated. No, I think something's wrong there. They were prompted to pay attention. We said, what do we think we should do? decided to call 911 because this was not a place that any person should be standing. Something could have been seriously wrong. And then we took time, we prayed for that person, that God would protect them, whatever's going on, that they wouldn't be harmed in any way. We got home that night and the next morning and we started to see the news reports that came out that this man, service workers went, um, first responders went, they rescued him. This man was looking to take his own life. And in that moment of just noticing this was an act of compassion. We weren't trying to get anyone in trouble. We were trying to save someone's life if there was danger. And we had no idea, really, that that's exactly what was happening. God had us right in that place at just that time. But church, how many places are we in and we're not paying attention to what's going on right in front of us? But when we show God's kindness in that way, God's demonstrating something. We have to allow our hearts to break for the things that break the heart of God and to be ready to display his kindness to others. Amen? I mean, that's what we do. And as we do that, God's going to do something in us to, to change us and transform us along the way. So our selfishness might be the second thing that's getting in the way of our kindness, the kindness of God flowing through us. Mandy, would you tell us about the third one? So the next thing that we see, the next thing that we see in the passage that can kill your kindness is your words. In Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as, it is, as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And I really like what the New Living Translation says in uh, verse 29. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement. And so I think, I think that it's very easy for us to act a certain way when we're out in public or maybe we're with people that we don't interact with. And, you know, we have that idea of the self that we allow others to see. And you think about Instagram and Facebook and social media. It's like that self, that you know, our public image we want to keep up, you know, that image of what people think of us. But it's those that are in our inner circle right? The people that we live with, our family members, uh, maybe a close, close friend, maybe someone you've grown up with. These are the people who truly know us. Um, these are the people that they see the real you and they know you day in and day out. And, you know, for instance, I think of my daughter when I wake up in the morning and she sees me, she knows what mommy looks like in the morning. Oh, mommy, I like your pajamas. Um, you know, I'm getting ready for work. Oh, mommy, you're putting makeup on. Oh, mommy, you're doing your hair. And so she notices, you know, when I, I do these certain things. Um, unfortunately, it is these people in our inner circle that seem to get the brunt of our unharnessed emotions. And it's usually after maybe a long day of holding it in or faking it um, for other people that when we come home at night, we let our guard down. And we can be very quick to maybe snap at a family member or to lose patience with a child that may need our attention. 
So sometimes the people that we are closest with are the ones that end up, we end up hurting the most. We become so familiar with those in our inner circle, and we don't take that same care that, you know, maybe we're a little bit more mindful when, you know, you're in your boss's office or you're, you know, with someone, uh, maybe, you know, that you want to impress or something like that. But we don't take that same care. We don't take that same um, concern, you know, when we are with our inner circle. And so as a parent, your words can bring death or life to your children. James chapter 3 verses 7 through 10 says it best. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So how can we, you know, be, especially how can your children watch us praying or watch us, you know, you know speaking to God or, or speaking about God, but yet at the same time, you know, they hear other things that come out of our mouth or things that are hurtful to them. As Christians, we are called to model Christ to our children, and to those who are in our family every single day. These are the ones that they see us at our worst and at our best. You have to think, are your words, are they helpful or are they hurtful? Are you an encourager? Maybe some of us, you know, maybe you're prone to being positive, and so, you know, everything is like, you know, upbeat. Some of you, you maybe you're a half-glass-empty person, so you have to say, okay, God, help me to be a person that um, is not going to see things so negatively. Help me be a person that I'm, I'm going to be an encourager and not someone that's like a, like a Debbie Downer almost. Um, are you building up the people that you are closest with, or are you tearing them down? Matthew 12, 34 says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So when we let anger, selfishness, any unresolved sin build up inside of us, it is only a matter of time that that which is inside of us is going to come spewing out of us. You think garbage in, garbage out. And then it begins to wreak havoc on whoever is in our path of destruction. And so some of you, maybe you've been on the receiving end of this, and you may know firsthand what I'm talking about, what it's like to have someone in your life that has torn you down or who has hurt you with your words. And when we become wounded by someone in our inner circle, it affects every part of our life. And sometimes we go through life and we, we carry that. It affects who we are and who we develop and who we become to be as a person. I want you to know that today that God has the power to heal he has the power to restore. He has the, the power to bring together all of those broken places inside of our hearts that maybe we've been carrying for a long time. So I want to just challenge you today that God has it. That's you today. God wants to restore you. He wants to heal you and touch that broken place. Ephesians 4 verse 30 goes on to say, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I love how it talks about the Holy Spirit as a person. I think we sometimes forget that the Holy Spirit is a person. And um, we, think it th we think about the nature of who he is and that we can actually offend him. It literally means to grieve the Holy Spirit is to offend him. And you know what? I, I mean, you just read the Bible for a couple minutes. The Holy Spirit is not a person that I want to offend. I don't want to uh, grieve him. It means that it hurts his heart 
when he sees that we are acting in a way that is not of him, that is not of the calling that he has placed on us. You think about verse 1, live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. It hurts his heart when we're not acting in that way. And I came across this, um, th- these notes in, in my study in the commentary. It says, when believers disregard God's will concerning how the community of Christ ought to behave, they cause grief to God's spirit, whose work it is to build up the body. And so we've been talking a lot about in this context, this is for the body of believers. And so when we, there is that disharmony behind, you know, between believers, it grieves him. It hurts his heart. And we can, this can especially be seen with our words and how we treat those around us. Amen. Pastor Rick, would you come up at this time? We've seen three of these ways that we could see, really, if we're not careful, the kindness of God within us being killed. And I want to talk to you about the fourth one that Paul gets to. And it's found in verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. The fourth thing that might be killing the kindness of God in you is your bitterness. It's the bitterness that's within you right now. Bitterness is the byproduct of unkindness against us that has become an offense that has been buried deep. Unresolved anger, words, all these things, taking in all of what we've just heard and burying it deep within us. And I want you to know that if you bury those offenses, if you bury those hurts, if you hold on to them long enough, they're going to sprout roots and they're going to grow. And they're going to produce fruit in your life. And what Paul is talking about here is a picture that I have. If you look at verse 31, I believe it's a picture of a tree. That bitterness is the roots of that tree and rage and wrath and, and clamor and anger and slander. Those are the fruit of that tree. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because if you look in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, God uses this idea of bitterness and he, he shows it as a root. He said, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I want you to know when we internalize these things, when we have anger that we haven't dealt with and we've just buried it deep within us, we've allowed it to open up doors for sin and for the enemy to take advantage. We've allowed it to spill over in our lives and the words that we say and, and we've acted selfishly. We really haven't have, have guarded ourselves against others and we've allowed unforgiveness and bitterness to kind of rest inside of our hearts. It contaminates us. It corrupts us from the inside out. That bitterness is a root that's in us then. And you need to know that that root, if it's there, it's producing fruit, whether you know it or recognize it or not. It is. It always will. But I'm so thankful today that God doesn't just give us the problem. He gives us the solution. In verse 32, we come right back down. Paul says, this is the life worthy of the calling you have. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Don't be guarded. Don't be selfish. Be tenderhearted. Forgive each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Pastor, you keep talking about forgiveness. I know I didn't plan it this way, but the first week when we talked about love, we had to talk about forgiveness. When, when we talked about last week, we had to talk about forgiveness. You know why? Because what I found is that it seems that the greatest thing God ever did for us is the hardest thing we could ever do for someone else. The thing that God has done for us, he's given it to us so freely, forgiveness, seems to be for believers the hardest thing we could ever do for someone else when they hurt us. And I just believe that when we look at God's word, forgiveness comes up again and again and again because it's not easy. Can someone say amen? Because I think that maybe for many of us, we haven't truly done it. Can we say amen? We've carried it. We've held on to it. 
and it's killing the kindness within us. The kindness of God, we're sharper than we used to be. Not in a good way, in a negative way. We, we don't see things the way we used to see them. We don't speak the way we used to speak. The, the kindness that once filled our hearts and our lives is, has dulled down and has even spoiled within us. The answer is forgiveness. I believe truly that forgiveness is the key that will unlock the kindness of God in your life. It will unlock the kindness of God through your life. Because as we said, with all of these attributes, what has flowed to you must flow through you. And the love that flowed to you must flow through you. When we're doing this series, all we're doing is we're cleaning out the ductwork of our lives and our hearts so that what God has lavished on us can flow out of our lives. And when it does, we're fruitful. When it does, we're operating in the fruit of the Spirit as God desires for us. And for some of us today, you are an act of forgiveness away from allowing the kindness that flowed to you to now flow through you. But until you say yes to that, until you surrender that, you're going to continue to hold on to all this bitterness. It's going to continue to defile you. It's going to continue to cause you to live a life less than what God has for you, a life less than worthy of the calling that God has for you in Christ Jesus. And so today on Mother's Day, yes, on Mother's Day, are you ready to take a big step that has to do everything to do with forgiveness? The first thing is this, is there an area in your life that you must ask for forgiveness today? Is there a line that you have crossed? Is there something in you that the enemy has gotten and taken advantage of? And for you today, I want you to know the greatest gift is not going to be at a table. It's not going to be the cards. It's not going to be the flower. It won't be any of that. The greatest gift you could have is a right heart before God today, is a clear conscience. And I don't have the power to clear your conscience. I can't do that. But I know that we have a God who promises that when we come to him, when we turn, we come to him repentant, he forgives us of anything and everything. And he can lift that off of you today. And he can separate it from you as far as the east is from the west. But you have to acknowledge it before him today. And so I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And the first thing that I would ask you to do is to answer that question, do I need to ask God for forgiveness today? Do I need his forgiveness in my life in any of these areas? And I promise you today that his forgiveness is here for you. Your hearts turn away from experiencing it. For someone here today, though, you've never actually taken the biggest step of your life. You've never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life. You've never asked him to forgive you ever yet. You've never come to him and fully surrendered your life to him. And I want you to know that you can never be truly free until you truly have surrendered to Jesus. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, if you're here within the sound of my voice and you say, Pastor, I've never, I've never asked Jesus to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins and give me the brand new life that you've been talking about, but I'm ready to do that today. I want to invite him in. And if you do, that means you're going to, you're going to confess your sin to him. You're going to believe in him, put your faith in him, and you're going to decide to follow him for the rest of your life. And if you're ready to do that today, you've never done that before, right where you're sitting, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I need to know that you're here so I could pray for you. Just lift your hand above your head really high right now. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Come on, lift your hand high above your head. Don't be ashamed in this moment. I'm going to just say a word of prayer with you. If that's you, within the sound of my voice, if you're watching online, just lift your hand up right now. God sees you. We're going to pray this prayer together from the bottom of your heart. If that's you, say it right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. Today, I put my faith in you. Today, I follow you. 
Today, I receive a brand new life from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As your head's bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to just right now, if you're a believer today and you know you have to ask God for forgiveness, just begin to do that right now with him. Just begin to confess those things before him right now and just feel the presence of God, the sweet presence of his spirit come upon you. And, and as you feel that, you're going to feel weights lifted off of you today because you're turning your heart to God. He's cleansing your heart today. And the weight of what you've been carrying is going to be lifted because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He's here to set you free. He's not here to hold it over you. He's not here to make you feel bad. He's here to convict, to help you to become convinced that you need him. And he's here to receive you with love as you turn to him. So, Lord, just I can sense in this room, Lord, there's a lot of heavy hearts, Lord God. And I thank you today that you're the lifter of every burden, that you're the one, Lord God, who's come with forgiveness and healing in your wings. And I pray that that would reach out and touch every life here that needs as they respond, Lord God. Your word has pricked us in different ways. And today, Lord God, we commit ourselves to follow you wholeheartedly. Today, we commit to put off the things that are causing death within us, Lord God, that we would flow and flow in the kindness that you have for us. Us in Jesus' name, amen. Finally, as you stand to your feet with me, church, let's just all stand together. I'm going to pray for you because this message is nothing but information. It becomes transformation when you do something with it. It becomes transformation. Your life will change if you apply it, if you do something. And for many of us today, we are one act of forgiveness away. We are one conversation away from God beginning to shift everything. For you today, the question is, who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to release? Who do I need to forgive and really demonstrate the forgiveness of God to? The greatest measure of kindness, the greatest thing, uh, example of kindness that we could see anywhere is the act of forgiveness. You know why? Because kindness we see in the world is about giving what you get. But kindness is give, and forgiveness is giving what you do not give in, get in return. If you truly forgive someone from your heart, it isn't contingent on them forgiving you back or asking for it or even deserving it. Your forgiveness is something that you extend to them and it's kindness in action. When you choose to forgive, you're choosing to release the debt to not hold it against them anymore, to be set free. And you think you're freeing them from it, but it becomes a key that sets you free. And so today, there's some in your life that you've been harboring bitterness against. There's conversations that you need to have and your freedom is on the line. The kindness of God flowing through your life again is on the line. So I wanna pray for you as you take next steps and you have those conversations and you extend that forgiveness. God will give you the strength to do it. He's promised you that you can. He's gonna give you the strength, whatever it is. This could be the greatest Mother's Day ever because someone today, you finally forgiven that parent for what they've done. You finally have forgiven that person that has wounded you with their words. You finally let go of the thing you've been carrying. And so today I want to pray God's strength for you. And if you need that today, just lift your hands before God.